Okay, all of us here already know how to practice okay, Satipatthana Vipassana insight through mindfulness meditation. And the first stage I would like to talk about what are the benefits so we know how to practice. And if we know what are the benefits that's coming in or we can or we could receive by practicing it, it might give us more encouragement. It is in the Mahasatipatthana Sutra, the long discourses of the <coughs> Mahasatipatthana Sutra, the Buddha give the accounts of the benefits of this practice. The first one, the benefit that we have is the purity of mind. Purity of mind. So let's see what purity of mind means by the Buddha. Okay. If we reflect our lives every day, day in, day out, working, resting, socializing, everything. Okay. Now you are in a stage you can reflect it. If you reflect it, all our actions, whether in terms of thoughts or speech or deed, okay, there's some contents of those we can understand it. If you look at it, all these actions are to the greater or a lesser degree influenced by what we like and what we don't like. Based on what we like and what we don't like, we think a certain way. We speak a certain way and we do a certain way. Of course, we are all intelligent people. We put a rational or justified based on this is right and correct to support that what we are doing is good or right. But as long as we are Prutujana, the ordinary average worlding, it's always influenced by these likes and dislikes. Okay? What is this likes? Likes mean loba. Okay? Things that you need and things that you want. And dislike. Dislike is dosa. Okay? When things doesn't go your way, the way you need and the way you want, you have aversion or dissatisfaction towards it or it is simply right out, disagreeable nature, you got anger into it. Whenever we have these likes and dislikes, there's always a certain degree of uncertainty or delusion involved in it. Uncertainty or delusion involved in it. So those are the threes, okay? Loba, dosa, moha, all likes, dislike, or 
uncertainty. These are always in our mind. When we think, it is there. When we speak, it is there. When we are doing physically something, it is there. As they are always there, let's say your mind, your thoughts, or you can call it your brain wave, if you want to put it on a physical level, that is always moving and vibrating and moving and vibrating. Based on the activities and intensity what you are doing, that brain waves are highly active or somewhat subtly active, but still they are active. And when these brain waves are active in such a fashion, due to the thoughts associated with likes, dislike, and uncertainty, it never is quiet. It never is quiet. It is always in a state of chaos sometimes. Sometimes it's a very high-speed energy. That is how your mind is working all the time. And that kind of activity, in general, we call it stress. The more active it becomes, the stressful it becomes. The less active it becomes, the less stress you have. And that is our nature, okay? Our nature every day, all the time. And in here, we start practicing. When we practice okay, meditation, okay, vipassana, Satipatthana Vipassana. When you practice this meditation, what happens is these activities starting to slow down. They start to slow down. In other words, these brain waves become, okay, the wavelength becomes slower and slower, smaller and smaller it becomes. And when you have the ability, okay, to pay full attention to all that what is happening okay, in your body and in your mind. Whatever physical activity that is happening in your body, whatever mental activities happening in your mind, if you can pay full attention to them continuously, one after the other, you gain a very strong momentum of mindfulness, sati. And when you have that strong continuous mindfulness, you are in a state, you are observing closely and intensely and penetratively on each object, on each object. That is the ability you arise, you got from being continuously mindful. And that penetrative awareness of the object at the present moment is samadhi, concentration. And 
when you got to that state of being able to be fully focused on every object that is arising and passing away, your brain wave is hardly any vibrating. Okay? The brain wave is at a almost minimal. In other words, there is no activity, there is no chaos. In one word, the minds become calm. It becomes calm. Not only calm, okay, in this meditation is we are not singularly focused on one single object. We are focusing on every object of the present moment. <coughs> it also has the quality of clarity. It sees the object with very clearly without any okay, veil, without any vagueness, that clear and calm minds achieved. Okay. When you have that clear and calm mind achieved, at that moment, you will find that there is no likes and there is no dislike and there is no uncertainty. You are in a totally neutral state, neutral state, and able to observe everything with total neutrality. Good. Aquanimous situation. That is the calm and clear mind. And at that moment, there is no loba, no dosa, no moha. That is the part, a part of the purity of mind. When the Buddha said purity of mind is that's one thing, clear and calm. Okay. There's no excitement, there's no discursive thoughts. The mind is calm and the mind can see every object with clarity. That is the one of the quality of the pure mind, purity of mind. And also, when a person got to that stage, okay, not once, not twice, he can get to that state, calm and clear mind, quite often practicing, let's say, weeks, months. Whenever you sit down, you can reach that kind of mental state. At that moment, there is another quality arises along with it. That quality is when we are in our daily life, okay, in our daily life, we are always facing with, they call it eight loka dharma. Okay? Eight loka dharma. Okay? Gain and loss. Okay? Having many friends, no friends. And then uh, victorious, failure, suffering, happiness. Those kind of eight things are always happening to us. And whatever we are doing, those are associated with it. 
It is how we respond, how we react to these things changes. Okay. Whenever these kind of insults, full, really good things that can make you fly, and full, really bad things that can take you down into the sinkhole. Whenever these attacks come in, some people okay, react violently, and some people don't react that violently, but still affects. So each of us has a different ability or resistance to these on salt of these eight loga dharma. We already have to a certain degree, lesser or greater. But when you practiced it, and if you keep on analyzing, if you keep on reflecting upon yourself every three months, every six months, you will find that your ability to resist these onslaught of the eight loka dharma become stronger and stronger. Before something comes in, you can give in easily. Okay, let's say someone who has a very soft button okay, to food. Okay, when the food comes in, you just forgot about everything. Oh, this is fantastic, great, and eat and eat and eat. Okay, don't even think about it, anything anymore. Nothing about health, nothing about who is eating or how much eating, how much you should be eating, how much you should be sharing, nothing common. That kind of thing, automatically, because it could be again by the conditioned product. Maybe you are raised in a family in which that food is the main prime okay, product or in a culture, say, like Italian would say the food is, a, you know, that is the main thing, eat, eat, if you eat, it's good. So your whole life, your condition, and because of the condition product, you went into that state. And when it comes to food, you can't resist. Of course, you can resist many other things, but certain things, not across the board. Everybody has a soft point, different soft point, different resistance. And when you practice this, you will begin to find slowly and slowly you have to put in a different way less and less interest into the food. Or in other words, you can resist even if it is put in front of you. Even if the situation arises, you eat with sensibility. That's what it means by your mind becomes strong. You can resist the good pleasant temptations, the bad unpleasant stressful environment. In both environments you find that you become very strong to resist these things. In other words, your mind is made up, your mind is firm. What it means is, your mind becomes strong and firm. That is what is called by the purity of mind. First of all, the mind settles down, cool, calm, with full clarity. 
and what that process has been in your mental state repeatedly many times your mind becomes stronger and firmer, stronger and firmer. Those are the benefits. Those benefits, you don't have to wait till you got enlightened. You don't have to wait till you become a noble person. Right here and right now, you are practicing. All that you do is the commitment. Regularly, even daily, one hour a day or two hours a day, four hours a day, whatever allows you. But with commitment, a part of your life, if you practice that, these states, purity of mind will be achieved. Of course, that calm and clear mind is, you will achieve while you are in a state of meditation. But the strong and firm mind, that is the quality it stays with you because of that clear and calm mind. That strength carries on to the non-meditative states and you become stronger and stronger and firmer and firmer in your determination, in your resistance to all pleasant and unpleasant situations. That becomes like a part of you. As long as you maintain that calm and clear mind through the practice, that will be there. It's safe for some time. Even if you stop practicing, it stay with you for some time. But of course, eventually, it will disappear if you don't. Because that strong and firm mind is the product of calm and clear mind. So that's the purity of mind. That's the first benefit. And then, when you practice that strong and firm mind, it's a continuation. In what way, if we have to use the words of the Buddha, okay, overcome pain and grief. Okay. Not only that, the onslaught of these eight loka dharma, there are times that become quite intense. Physical pain. Okay. Physical pain. Okay, the obvious one we know is the meditative pain. Some people couldn't take it. And also illness and disease pain will bring down. And also grief. Grief is a mental pain. Sometime your loved ones departed or you have a great loss that you care so dearly, and these onslaughts come in. And even those highly intense onslaught of these physical pain and mental pain, first of all, you could resist. You can stand against it, and eventually to the point of you even overcome. And then, sorrow and lamentation. Basically, it is the physical and then mental pain in the highest degree, <coughs> highest level. Sorrow and lamentation. Even those things you can, number one, withstand and eventually 
overcomes. It doesn't affect you anymore. So when you come to the point of overcoming these pains, grief, sorrow, lamentation, you are in a different state of mind. And that state of mind is the product of this meditation, the benefit of this meditation. What is that different state of mind? Okay. According to scriptural word, reaching the path and fruition. Okay. The path and fruition. Path is mega, fruition is phala. What it means is when you have totally overcome these things, okay, there are various stages of course, that person who can overcome the highest degrees of both physical and mental pain, they are the ones who have reached the other shore. In other words, they become a noble person. So we all are human. These noble persons are also human. The ordinary people are also human. But they have a two lineage. The first lineage is they call it Putu Jana. Okay, English translation is ordinary worlding, like you and me, all of us. That is one lineage, still human. The other one is also human. But they are called a noble lineage, Ariya. Noble lineage, Ariya. So they have terminated this side of the lineage, ordinary lineage, enjoy the noble lineage. Okay. When you reach that noble lineage, that is when you start overcoming this pain, grief, lamentation, and sorrow. Of course, quietude and calm and clear mind and strong and firm mind is, that is a given. That's the first little benefits we all have, even before we reach this stage. So, this path and fruition to not one stage, they are four different levels. Four different levels. Four different parts and four different fruitions. So that's why they call it eight noble persons. There are eight of them. Let's talk about the first one, okay, the closest to where we are. Okay, that closest to where we are is called the first stream winner, Sotapanna. Sotapanna, the first stream winner. They are the person who has practiced this Vipassana meditation and then crossed that threshold. Okay, the threshold or the boundary from the Buddha to the noble person. <clears throat> they are the person who tastes or who have the first glimpse of Nibbana. Okay, we call it Nibbana, but let's simply put Nibbana is a state where all physical and mental suffering 
are eliminated or doesn't exist. That is Nibbana. Okay, we can define in many different ways, but let's look at it simply. Both physical and mental suffering cease to exist at that time, at that moment. Sotapanna is one who have the first flavor, first taste of that. That doesn't mean they have seen all. It is the first step. And the higher you go, the higher you climb, the deeper and more flavorful states of absence of suffering you will experience. But in here is, you got to that state. And the benefit of this is, you have to understand the, the concept, the Buddhist concept of life okay, existed. The Buddhist concept of life or existence is we, all of us, had lived uncountable, unfathomable, unimaginable numbers of lives in the past. And then, if we still keep on staying and living like this, it will carry on for endless number of lives in, in the future. And that birth and death and birth and death is called the cycle of life, sansara. Okay. One little thing I like to interject here is, when we said we had lived in the past and will be living in the future. It's not in the sense of this same eye, durable eye, persistent eye, never changing eye. I have lived in the past and I lived in the future. Not with that kind of understanding, not that kind of concept. And what we call this eye is Two phenomena in operation. One is a physical phenomenon, you can call it a body. Another is a mental phenomenon, you can call it a mind or consciousness. This physical and mental phenomenon are always arising and passing away, arising and passing away. But whatever arising is due to the passing away, and whatever is passing away is due to the arising. That's how they are connected. So there is a, a certain degree of connection, but not exact duplicate or the same thing existing forever. It has a continuum, a flow of mental activities and physical activities, but they are each an individual separate events and moments related through the law of cause and effect. That's what it means by we live many lives before and we will live many lives after. And as long as we are cycling in this life and death sansara, likes and dislikes will be there, 
uncertainty will be there, and all the result, consequences, happiness, sadness, pain, excitement, joy, depression, all these things will be with it. No if or but. That's the ordinary way of looking at suffering. The Buddhist way of looking at suffering is, as all things are impermanent, as all things are all the time arising and passing away, they are all painful and they are all suffering. What we consider happy and joyous and pleasant is our own delusion that created that pleasant, happy excitement and joy. Because of a delusion, we think pain as pleasant. Because of a delusion, misunderstanding, we thought happiness but not sadness. Sadness as happiness, because that is the delusion, the veil that make us look and think differently. So, in other words, as long as if you are in this cycle of life again and again and again, you will go through that process again and again endlessly. And if one starts to see that, even for a certain level of insight, don't have to see the whole truth, a certain level, and become dissatisfied with this nature, there must be something else better than this. If somebody began to think that way, then he will start looking for what are the other alternatives or other answers. And these other alternative and answer, you can find it through this meditation process, Vipassana meditation. Now, when we practice this, let's say you have broken that threshold and go to the path of the area, the first stream winner. And what happened was at that moment, your direction or the flow of these physical and mental phenomena change before it is always going like a cycle up and down and up and down, sometime in a higher place, sometime in a lower place. You can never control. But when you reach this stage, suddenly state of mind change because of that calmness, coolness, firmness, strongness, and overcoming all pain and grief. You understand what is bringing that into that state. And the foundation the foundation of keep on cycling in this is loba, dosa, and moha. And even in this loba and dosa, 
greed and anger, the most heinous, the most vicious of all is the five precepts. Killing, taking what is not giving to you, sexual misconduct, false speech, and substance that could cloud the mind. Those fives are the one that can inflict you the most painful way. Those fives are the one that is keeping you going up and down and up and down in the scales of this good life and bad life and good life and bad life, good time and bad time. Those fives. And when you become Sotapanna, what happens is we have all different kind of consciousness all together, 121, and we have 52 types of mental associates. Some of them were totally, totally uprooted and eliminated. They are not there anymore. As some of them are not there anymore because of this practice, the thoughts about breaking these five precepts, I'm not talking about talking about it or doing about it. Just thinking, you don't even think about breaking these five precepts. In other words, the mind of the area, the first area, is not capable to produce related with that five precepts. It's not capable, it cannot produce. Under ordinary condition, no. And even under a very forceful, disastrous, dangerous condition, no. They would never do that. These are the five. And these five, that person will never commit anymore, never break anymore, because they cannot even think about it anymore. That kind of thought doesn't arise because a certain mental states and a certain type of consciousness are totally uprooted. That's what happened. Because of that, these type of people will never be reborn in the four woeful states. In other words, it's more like a constant state of suffering. Okay? Neither not something like a constant no gap. Okay? Suffering is like hell. And Tirichana, like insects and animals and birds, they are constantly struggling for food and survival and reproduction. Hungry ghosts. Hungry ghosts are in a state that is very close to the human world, and they are in a constant state of lack. In every aspect, whatever you think, they are in a constant state of lack. And the fourth one is called demonic beings. They have a certain power, 
but they are always in a state of struggle and fight and dominance. Always forward, looking forward towards destruction. Those are the four states, four woeful states. You will, one who has reached this Sotapanna hood, will never be reborn there. They will be reborn in a human world, Dewa or celestial realm, and Brahma, okay, noble beings, higher beings. You can be reborn in those states. And even that, there's a limitation. Only seven more existed, maximum seven more existence. Okay. One will live and eventually attain Nibbana, total release from all form of suffering. That is the, the first noble person. And as far as the mental states are concerned, they have abandoned the wrong view. Okay? They always have the right view. What is the right view? The right view is, okay, this me or I is not a me or I, not a person or a being or self or a soul. It is a physical phenomenon and mental phenomenon which is always arising and passing away. Right now is simply a concept theory. At that state, you lived it with it. That is a part of you, you are it. That kind of changes. When you have that kind of changes, when you have that kind of view, these people will never cling onto anything and commit anything of destructive nature. That is what it means by attaining the path and attaining the fruition. This is only the first level. Okay. Sotapana, Sakadagami, okay. one returner, which means that person will be reborn once in a human world or a Dewa world. Non-returner, <coughs> Anagami, that person will never be reborn in a human or the Dewa, but only in the Brahma world, the higher being. <coughs> and finally, Arhatta. Arhatta is the, the last existent of this physical and mental flow. After that, that physical flow ceases to exist, mental flow ceases to exist. But the physical flow and mental flow is what? That is suffering. As long as it's this physical phenomenon and mental phenomenon, suffering exists. And once that flow ceased to exist, that means suffering totally ceased to exist. And that is the final benefit. Nibbana. So there are seven benefits. So reflect upon these benefits. Don't go too far and too high. Just think about the calm and clear mind and cool mind. Think about the strong mind and the firm mind and ability to resist. 
the onslaught of the worldly stresses. That will be the first and immediate benefit one will get. So if you reflect deeper into what kind of things you can benefit, you have more inspiration to practice harder, faster, and deeper. So may all of you be able to reflect upon these benefits of the Vipassana meditation, and may you be able to attain the purity of mind and eventually Nibbana as soon as possible. Sadhu, 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 buddham bujemi. Dhammam bujemi. Sangam bujemi.